On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are pondering what it means to be a human in Amazon's solos, getting involved in an undercover police investigation with Leslie Sharp in Channel 4's Before We Die, and bringing down evil corporations with Katie Sagel in Rebel on Star. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, your televisual equivalent of the Night's Watch. As we wade through the wildlings and white walkers of peak TV, we are the Watcher on the Walls, the Sword in the Darkness, and the Shield that guards the realms of men and women from rubbish telly. Joining me on the wall this week are my sworn brother and sister of the Watch. First, the Alissa Thorne of the Pilot TV podcast, putting us through our paces in the training yard and only occasionally luring me outside to brutally murder me in the dark. It's Terry White. Hi, Terry. Hi, James. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also with us, as we face the long night, is Pilot TV's very own Maester Eamon, the custodian of all TV knowledge, who wears a chain forged with links from 100,000 episodes of The Chase. It's Boyd Hilton. <laughs> Yeah, true. Actually, how is everyone? Are we all good? I'm good. Yeah. Although I had, I was, I was meant there was a possibility that I was going to host a um a, a a session about the chase quite soon. Like they're setting up a you know like a BAFTA thing, but then it it it, it fell through because not everyone could do it. So I'm a bit devastated by that. But I think it will happen. So at some point I will be hosting an epic investigation into the brilliance of the chase via BAFTA. So not hosting the chase. No. Well, no, 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 no. A discussion, a Q and A. Because I'd watch James, that. A Q and A. Yeah, no, right. that, w- that would be incredible. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> no, an, a, an in-depth deep dive into the chase is brilliant courtesy of BAFTA. It will happen at some point. Okay, mm. well, we'll you know keep an eye out for that. I still don't really fully understand what the chase is, but also, more importantly, I don't want to. No. Uh, Terry, It's all right. Um, it's all right. I'm all right. You're all right. I saw you this week, didn't I, James? <laughs> you did. You did. We actually saw each other for the first time in, yeah. what, six months? More? Yeah, I can't even remember. Very- Time is a flat not circle. Invited, not yeah. invited to this little soiree. <laughs> yeah, boy, yeah. Invited. yeah. And if I, and if I we went to see a movie, yeah. not just me and James, um, uh, a cross-section of the Empire team, and then we went into the actual office. James did some splaining across a desk. It was uh, even did. more majestic in person than I remembered. <laughs> Oh, you got to see the pointy finger of James Blanation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was lovely actually. It was lovely to go and see a film. It was lovely to see other humans. I realised I have to a certain extent missed you all, uh, and then to go to the office. Yeah, it was it was pretty epic. So see you in another yeah. six months or so. I think, uh, maybe that's our perfect relationship: <laughs> is we see each other twice a year. Twice a year. Yeah. Twice a year. Watch a film. Hang out. And then banished back to the other end of a you know whatever this is virtual mm-hmm. podcast booth. Now, I know you've already had me James explaining live once this week, Terry, so I hesitate to do it again, but we're going on now to what we've been watching, and I need to talk about Game of Thrones, so you might want to strap in for this. Strap on, strap in, or switch off. I mean, you know. Either. Either is fine. So I have now finished. My watch has ended. Uh, I got through my complete rewatch of Game of Thrones. For anyone, if anyone doesn't remember, I have been powering through this the last few weeks. For the third time. For the third time, I've been going through Game of Thrones. But this is the first time, crucially, the very first time I have watched this end to end. The whole Thrones experience, Mm. as it was intended, complete, you know, unalloyed, uninterrupted, just full on Westeros all the time. Uh, And I have to say, like, this series is fucking brilliant. Like, genuinely, (laughs) I can't. 
decide where it falls. Is it, it is. It is 100%. It is 100%. And I can't tell you don't, where don't it falls do it, is it, though? in my pantheon of the best TV shows. But for me, it is properly up there. Like at the oh, very, very... Yeah. pantheon. My pantheon. Well, West Wing is number one in my Correct. pantheon. And I'd long said, you know, like, it was probably then Battlestar Galactica, maybe the... I can't even remember what I said because we did this on our 100th episode. And I'm mm. sure I said, like, The Wire, The Shield, Battlestar. You Battlestar. Know, but actually... Mm. The fuck on. Are you really saying Battlestar Galactica <laughs> is the second yes. greatest TV show ever made? In in my in my world, like, so my favourite. That is my second favourite. I would there say there is a difference. The criteria there is a difference. There is a difference. There is a difference. I'm not Good saying it's the second greatest. pronunciation of Galactica, though. I just want to say Galactica. 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 The contempt in every syllable is quite extraordinary. Rather than contempt, but carry on. It could be. It could be a bit of both. But Game of Thrones may now be. Honestly, it might be my second favourite TV show of all time. There's a possibility. It's actually peaks Battlestar for me. Big news. This is James from the future. Just dropping in to say that it wasn't until about 10 minutes or something into this extremely detailed and, let's be honest, far too long monologue about Game of Thrones that I realised it contains massive spoilers for all of Game of Thrones, but particularly the final season of Game of Thrones. So if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, and really if you have and don't need to listen to me James explain this series for the thousandth time, then do feel free to skip ahead. I'll put the timestamp in the description. Uh, If, however, you do feel the need, then, you know, sit back and... Prepare yourself for the most lukewarm of hot takes. Okay, so look, so we all know series one to four of this show. I mean, we don't know because Terry's not fucking watched it, but everyone else in the world knows series one to four of Game of Thrones are amazing. Four in particular, which is the high point of the show. Now, five is decent. It's not great, it's decent. And six is properly great. Now, then you get onto the final two seasons, which, you know, are generally held to be the decline of this show. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think seven is the weakest season. It feels like you've been you've been looking at a beautiful watercolor painting, like a wonderful something in a gallery, and then you've got like a little little sketch, like a little pencil drawing, like outlines with stick figures. Like it feels really thin and lacking in texture. It's very colourless and flat. And you know, the trip beyond the wall makes no sense. Too much of too much actually happens, but not enough of it good. So it's it's been a show that's been all character and some plot, and then it becomes all plot and very little character. And I think that's kind of where it trips itself up. And the convergence of the character characters limits the scale so you've been jumping all over the continents like seeing all these different characters doing different things and suddenly they're all in the same places and you're titting about between king's landing dragonstone and winterfell and suddenly it just feels smaller and euron is irritating and the dragonstone stuff with john is dull and it's just not brilliant that said the spoils of war episode which is the dragons attacking the 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 loot train that's brilliant Uh, and i think beyond the wall is done really well it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, but let's not get that. Anyway, anyway, all of this is to say, like, season eight, as we have discussed, as everyone has discussed, is where everyone thinks Game of Thrones went wrong. It's the one that everyone hates. They think it is the worst season. It's terrible. I'm going to go out on a limit. I think season eight is not bad. I think season eight is a good season. Well, can I just... Well, I, I said that first, James. Yes. I said that first. I've been defending season eight for years. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, let's just gloss over that. No, let's not gloss over it. Fine. Okay, Boyd was right, is what we're saying. Thank Boyd you. Was right. no, I, no, I've never said season eight was bad. I had issues with it. And my issues were I thought it was anticlimactic. I thought the bells was insane. But I was never one of the people who were like game of thrones was ruined by season eight 
because we're in this situation where this show seems to have been cancelled essentially because people mm. didn't like season eight. And I, you know, I was the first to admit, and maybe it wasn't what we wanted. And I don't think it was. It's only six episodes. It does feel rushed. So does season seven. And I think part of that, because I also watched the the last watch documentary, which I know you've seen as well, Boyd. Yeah. And I think watching that, you realise they had to end the show because it had taken on a life of its own. It was of a scale that was unsustainable, and people were just like there was afraid nerves everywhere. It's a great yeah. documentary. So I get I get that they had to end it, but I do feel like if you if you'd had you know a full run of episodes and maybe an extra season just to give it time to breathe. So because in previous seasons, like you go down the King's Road, it takes three episodes. In this, it takes one scene. You know, everything is really condensed, and I think that's where it falls. But Okay, so season eight starts with Winterfell, the first episode. Lovely scene-setting episode, feels momentous, comes full circle, because obviously the show kind of begins with with the king arriving in Winterfell, so that's lovely. You go straight into episode two, Night of the Seven Kingdoms, which I maintain <laughs> is one of the best episodes of this show, like across all of them. All the characters that you love finally coming together in one place, these beautiful little character moments, Arya and the Hound, Gendry and Arya, all of that stuff, them drinking around the fire, it's absolutely beautiful. It is say, everything you could I want. I don't like to interrupt, can I just say Terry's face at the moment has got head in her hands and it's literally like are you actually going to talk us through every single yes, episode no, no, yes I am literally everyone that was what was happening so I thought James is just going to blather on for a bit and I'm going to turn off and, and look at my Instagram and yeah. then it's when he, he, he pronounced that he was just going to talk through every episode and the dawning realisation that that lay ahead oh my god there's a window behind me do you... I leap through it <laughs> Terry, you've seen these episodes. You can contribute to this, this because it's the only part of the you've fucking seen. Wow. This is happening. Wow. Continue, I, James. Well, well, we roundly <laughs> ignore you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you, Terry, when we watched, as we go on to episode three of The Long Night, I remember when you saw that, you came away and said wow. something like, is this the greatest episode of telly I've I'm ever sure seen? And then proceeded to not yes. watch any more of it. But The Long Night is, again, a magnificent episode. It's very dark, true, but it's an hour and a half battle sequence. There's like three dialogue scenes in the entire episode. The rest of it is action. It's beautifully staged. Admittedly, the strategy makes absolutely no fucking sense. Like, you don't deal with the siege of a castle by putting your army outside the walls. You don't build siege works and trenches and then stick your army in front of them. And you don't send light cavalry directly at a massively numerically superior force. But let's, you know gloss over that stuff it's a really really good episode i think you know there's there's lots of really tense moments in it aria going nuts everyone gets something to do in that and i thought that was a perfect climax to the series the problem of course is you then have three more episodes and i think it's hard to to feel momentous and climactic when you've peaked and then everything else feels like a bit of a downslide however however we go do from talk, do talk us through them <laughs> i will i yeah. will we go from the long night to the last of the starts boy the last of the starts which is of course episode four now this is the aftermath of the battle you know you've got the funeral pyres you know the celebratory dinner which beautifully spills like it feels bittersweet and slightly sad daenerys there drinking a little starbucks you know but the seeds of anger and crucially and this is this is what i like you know you see the seeds of her undoing which i still maintain aren't brilliantly sown but certainly knowing what to expect, I'm more forgiving of her sort of descent into madness this time around. And I think it's, it's that this John's bombshell, the John's revelation, which has been kind of percolating in her mind. It's been fermenting for a couple of episodes there. You can see it kind of eating away at her. Uh, and the ultimatum that she gives him to like tell no one. I think that's, that's you know, that's good shit. So... Let's talk about the Bells Boyd. Now, the Bells Boyd, I think, is probably the first time you and I fell out on this podcast, wasn't it? We did our spoiler yeah. special. You defended this to the hill. I hated it, along with, let's be honest, everyone else in the world. Uh, and you got you 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 went full season eight Daenerys on me in that particular yeah. podcast. 
Yeah. When was the last time? Have you seen it since? Have you seen that episode uh, since? No, 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 no. Okay. Well, no. I will say, I will say, I, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it because I think you kind of get that it's a, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a combination of everything, you know, like, and we kind of knew this, but like, she's lost Jorah. She's lost two dragons at that point. She's lost Miss Sande, who's just had a head cut off. You know, she feels John's betrayed her by telling Sansa. Varys has just literally betrayed her. And that's that whole thing where she's like, you know, let it be fear then. Like she, she, she has a whole, she's real insecurities about people liking her as a person. And she realizes that they don't love her and they love John. And I think having lived her whole life believing she was entitled to the Iron Throne, believing that she was the heir to the Iron Throne, to suddenly realise that she's a usurper and actually John's the heir to the Iron Throne has completely shattered her entire sense of self. And all she's got left is the fact that she's got a massive army and a dragon and she kind of embraces that dark side of herself. Yeah, I do think... <laughs> that Amelia Clark does that extraordinary bit of five second face acting where you know when she's on the dragon and she has to contort her face from I was sane but now I'm going properly off the edge in that one shot and she yeah. does her very best with it but it's a difficult sell you know what you're saying gonna... is what yeah. you're saying is is that the unbelievably torturous <laughs> argument about it could she possibly have turned into this person she is in this episode and at the end of the se- series that you and millions of other people were like, no, this could never happen. It's like psychologically unjustifiable when in fact it's totally justifiable. Um, you're saying you were wrong. Yeah, I'm I, good. I, I'm saying this is not the most right I've ever been. Look, okay. I, like, I, got, I got it more this time. And I think I think a lot of it is more, it's not that people couldn't see her descent into madness. It's that people didn't want to see it. Because right. she's oh, a exactly. character that you love. You've loved. hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's in fan entitlement. Yeah. Fans get furious when yeah. their version of what the fucking story is isn't, isn't given yeah. to them on a plate. But the crazy of the show have worked out perfectly decent explanations psychologically of her actions. But they had a very difficult task because they had to keep her sympathetic right up until season eight and then to a certain extent through the beginning of season eight before they push her over the edge. And I think because of the condensed season, they weren't really able to do that in a very smooth way. So it's quite bumpy. It's a bumpy ride to get there. And they just about sell it. But as you say, like I think people don't want to believe that like people with their Khaleesi tattoos, naming their kids Daenerys, nobody wants to believe she's the Mad Queen. So it is hard for them to buy that moment. And I must say, like the torching of the civilians feels a bit of a stretch. I could get her killing all the Lannister army, but I'm not really sure about the civilians. Anyway, anyway, this one I didn't bump on anywhere near as much. And I think it's actually, it's I mean, it's a, it's a stunningly shot episode. I do think the the Clegane Bowl thing still is is awful fan service, and I didn't enjoy that. But having gone into this thinking that this was like the anti Breaking Bad, that she breaks bad in a scene, that she goes from from naught to Heisenberg in, you know, as quick as you can blink, you know, perhaps that was a little harsh and yeah. Okay, fine. I was maybe a tiny bit wrong on the bells. The bells are decent. Okay. But finally, right. The finale, the Iron Throne. Terry, Terry's held herself out the window at this point. She's yeah. not even pretending to listen. That's Lost fine. I'm sure most people have stopped listening to the podcast. She's actually, That's fine James, too. it's handy though for her because she's written an entire second book in this time. <laughs> yeah. but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing is about her trauma having to listen to me talk about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fine. James yeah. absolutely fair. a memoir. Did you, did you watch the final episode, Terry? I seem to no. recall you didn't. That you, so you watched all of the last season except for the final episode yes. of the last season. Right, excellent. That, that gives me anxiety. But anyway, let's talk about that final episode, which is the one that people hate the most because of kind of how it ties everything up. Now, I would argue like the first half an hour of that episode is perfect. It's the aftermath of the city. It's the reign of ash. It's Arya walking through the streets. John's confrontation with Grey Worm, all of that sort of stuff. Like it is 
brilliant. That scene, that Nuremberg scene where Daenerys comes out and you see the dragon wings behind her, you know, it's really powerful stuff. And then you have John and like Tyrion and then John and Danny in the throne room and then that happens, you know, and that's the momentum. And I think that's where that episode peaks. I think everything after that, it starts to kind of tail off. I think because you've got that King's moot, which doesn't really work for me. And also, who the fuck is at that King's moot? Like you got Sir Davos there, you got Brianna Tarth there. Ari- who Arya's there? What what the fuck are they doing? How do they get a vote? They're bu- and then there's three complete randos there as well. <laughs> like it really is a thoroughly bizarre thing. But let's let's skip over that. I think you had two things. You had people who thought this was too happy an ending, and then you had people who thought it wasn't happy enough. Like people felt shortchanged by the fact that John ended up being f- sent off back to the wall again, having literally lived and died there in the past. And I get that that does ring a little bit hollow. That you don't necessarily love that. And also, you think couldn't Sansa have just said, you know what, Grey Worm's going off to North. You know, we can do what we like. Come home. You know, it's all good. And the small council meeting when Sam brings out his Song of Ice and Fire book—that's a little bit cringe as well. But I think that last moment, the Stark montage, if you will, where you see, you know, Arya, you see Sansa getting crowned, you see, spoilers for Game of Thrones, by the way. Yeah, um, I mean, you see, thank you know, God. Can I just say thank, can I thank God Terry's not listening? Because she ever gets around to watching it, you'd have ruined the whole fucking thing. I, I have ruined it. I'll put in a spoiler warning before I do yeah. this. Um, you know, that montage where it ends with the Starks, where it began with the Starks, kind of. Uh, I think that's beautifully done. And even the ride beyond the wall, it's bittersweet, definitely. But I think it's, you know, there's a sadness to it. But I actually really liked it. I thought it was beautiful when he looks back over his shoulders and almost comes as close as Jon Snow gets to a smile. Um, and I and I got to the end of this and I was like, do you know what? This show is brilliant and this final season is great. Like it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near one of the better seasons. Like, it's the second worst season, but you know it's it's brilliant. And I don't see a way they could have turned it into what people wanted it to be. I don't see how they could have ended it in a way that would have pleased everyone. I really don't. I think it was a a bit of a poison chalice. But suffice to say, when I finished this, I thought it was so good. I literally wanted to start the whole thing all over again. I loved it that much. Oh, my God. For your benefit, Boyd, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Instead, I watched the documentaries, The Last Watch, and even the one from the first season. I watched a bunch of documentaries about it. And then I put it aside, (laughs) and my watch is over. You'd be pleased to know. But that is my Game of Thrones thing. I'm redeeming. I'm uncancelling season eight of Game of Thrones, people. It is officially uncancelled. Oh, thank That's God. the headline news of this. Yeah. The world is going to be released. James, <laughs> James has said it's okay. James has finished his TED talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that boy. So D.B. Weiss and what's his name? Yeah. Who's the other one? David no, Benioff I mean, and D.B. Weiss. They can sleep Weiss. well in their beds yeah. tonight. That's right. See, they, they've been upset. Has, they've been traumatised. Yeah. But now they feel redeemed yeah. because I have redeemed season eight, which is essentially yeah. like a 72-episode apology to you, Boyd. <laughs> it really is I mean, it's, I'm, in fact, in the end, I'm loving it, to be honest. Yeah, I might have a rewatch of uh, a Yeah, you need to rewatch it again. Yeah. And then suddenly you get to the end, you'd be like, do you know what? I've changed my mind. It's fucking ridiculous, that yeah. Bell's business. Yeah, yeah. So Terry, did you enjoy that? Was that was that did that do Me. it for you? <laughs> yeah. That was uh that was intense. Thank God I switched off and I had a lot to get off no my chest. idea what you were talking about. Um I do enjoy the fact you got like, you know, a good seventeen minutes in before remembering that you were spoiling the entire show for anybody who hasn't in fact just seen it. Yeah. 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 Well I will go back and record a little by the way, if you've not seen Game of Thrones, you might want to skip this bit. <laughs> or if you have, you still might want to skip this bit. 
yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I have just, I have just monologued a completely not at all hot, ice cold, refrigerated take of a show that no one is talking about anymore. But you know, that is very much my jam. So, right. So I'm going to um, uh, jump in and talk about something that people are all talking about this week, which is episode five of Mayor Town. Mayor. East of Mertown. Um, so I don't think we should say what happened because um uh it no. is but let's let's just talk about the So no spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers Mayor of Town. We recorded this on Friday, it only aired on Monday. Um so but what I will say is we've loved this show from the beginning and you both were slightly ahead of me abusing your privileges as uh critics i was i am clinging <laughs> on to it because after line of duty finished i needed a weekly bit of tv that i look forward to all day when i'm working and i can sit down and be excited about and mayor of east town is that for me at the moment i had been warned that episode five was what's the word i don't know what the word is but it was a, a seismic lot, momentous a lot Officially, a lot. A That's lot. the word. Yeah, it and was a it lot. Is officially, mm. a lot. I've watched it three times, um, as I like to do, and it's just. I mean, it, it contains a truly, truly shocking moment. I because here's the thing, right? Is we tend to know most of what's coming these days. As much as you try and stay away from spoilers, it's actually incredibly, incredibly hard. If you live anywhere on the internet, if you live anywhere on social media, to really, really be surprised with a moment in TV and I was fully, fully shocked and surprised and it was bold and brilliant and they probably fit as much in that episode as most shows would fit into an entire arc of a season. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. There's also a scene where Kate Winslet is laughing at her mum who's just been embarrassed. Yes, in, yes. In its, the, I can't <laughs> explain it to you, but the, the, this completely free of vanity and ego laugh she does, the way she physically inhabits that character fascinates me. So the way she eats her sandwiches and the way she walks and the way she laughs. And uh, the, I mean, we've talked before about how kind of she really commits to this role, but I think people underestimate what it takes for an actor who is you know it's pulled apart when she goes on the red carpet and people talk about her weight and have done ever since she was a teenager to to play a role that is so free of vanity and completely disappear into it in the way she does but this character is fascinating to me and that scene in the car with her mum is pure unadulterated brilliant moment of joy in what is otherwise you know this 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 show has many moments of bleakness in it and uh she's just a mate that i love that scene so much i can't even explain it just the way she laughs and the way she like how, what she makes Mary into, I find fascinating. So if you haven't watched episode five, do yourself a fucking favour and watch it. It is incredible. And I had to sit on my hands to stop myself jumping ahead to the next episode um, via the the perks that I spoke of earlier. But Because I am, yeah. I am desperate mm. now for Monday night and I can't wait for episode six. What telly? 
Oh, yeah. Episode five was pretty unbelievably good. And I've, I've been liking this more and more with every episode. It has to be said, because I, I hadn't planned to watch more of this. I hadn't, because it was too dour and a bit too miserable. And I just thought, I just don't need this in my life. But there's, as we've discussed, there's something about it where even though it is quite dour, it doesn't bring you down. And she's just so brilliant. And that moment you talk about with the laughter is there's so much honesty in that scene it feels so real and so true uh yeah it's it's so good and then you know the stuff the stuff that happens mm. 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 but terry more important than that of course have you watched the three episodes of succession that you promised you were going to watch uh, I haven't because um oh. well so i i put some time aside to watch it last night three episodes um and this was episode two three and four and I watched episode two twice because I got bored halfway through and and ended up playing with my son and not really watching it. So I made myself go back to the beginning and start it again. And I still was a bit... So quite frankly, I didn't watch three and four and I don't know if I'm going to. Like, I don't know what's happening. Oh, but <laughs> I feel strangely well, vindicated. Oh, man, I am yeah. going to give it another go because <laughs> just despite me, yes, basically. Uh, <laughs> but also, I did want to talk about something else I did watch this week in a event telly tuning in every night way. Innocent, which obviously oh, yeah. we reviewed last week and was on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The entire thing played out over four episodes. I am not sure. We're not going to talk about the twist because no, uh, it, would ruin it. It, yeah. it would ruin it entirely. But Catherine Kelly is amazing. I just thought she was <laughs> like absolutely fucking brilliant. But also, so is Sean Dooley. Mm. He, I, I, because you know, he was a guy who was on telly when I feel like when we were kind of not growing up because he's not that old, but he's that guy. He's one of those everyman actors, right? In some respects. That guy and, from that thing. Yeah. And, but he, I just thought he was absolutely brilliant in this. I, the, you know, the kind of grief that was hinted at, the problems in his own life. Cause I, I, I know we talked about this last week, but I love the stuff that is unseen in this show. And there's a whole thing with his family and his personal life and what he's been through that is never shown, never properly discussed. They don't lay it all out for you and tell you every single thing somebody's feeling, every single thing somebody's happened. The confidence in this show, in just hinting at things and showing people in a present moment without then having to explicitly, in huge amounts of exposition, show the past event. I think it's really like, I think it's really brilliant and really confident. I think he was remarkable in it. That is also worth your time. And uh, series one, is also on the player if you wanted to watch mm, both. I'm going to watch both, definitely. The main thing about the 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 the, the resolution is for me that the most important thing is I wasn't. It was totally unexpected. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it and, definitely and that was. I, so I like that, and yeah. I, and I and I all the way through. It's one of those things where you're thinking, how are they going to make the ending totally unexpected? Because almost yeah. every every answer feels um quite quite a likely job. Yeah. So actually, that I uh, so I kind of loved that that they seized upon a thing that was totally unexpected. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. I've watched an episode this week, much to my own surprise, of Love, Death, and Robots. Oh, I'm yeah. steady. Why? You know, yeah. Well, I'll tell you why. Because I remember the first... So the, this is the Netflix, David Fincher, um, Tim Miller exec-produced mm. animated... Although I say animated, but very much CGI, very, very, all kinds of different levels of animation. A lot of them CGI, very sophisticated, kind of hyper-real 
um, animation. Not She-Ra is what you're saying. Not She-Ra, exactly, which I find easier to deal with than, than our normal animated animation conversation. But mainly I thought, well, I quite enjoyed one or two episodes of the first series, even though it was weirdly booby and pervy and all of that. And, and, that, and that was inexcusable and kind of embarrassing. So I thought, oh, you know, I have to investigate what series two has been up to. And I just read a piece in somewhere saying, which which ranked, so there are eight episodes in season two and it ranked them from, from top to bottom. And I thought, I'll just check out the, the number one. And I did. And I have to say, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So there's this, so the episode that I watched is called, is the last episode effectively that you get on Netflix. It's called The Drowned Giant. It's Tim Miller's own episode. So Tim Miller um, directed it and wrote the script. It's adapted from a J.G. Ballard uh, story. And it's basically about the giant naked corpse of an unknown man washing up on the shore of this beach in this small coastal town. And it, first of all, technically, it's incredible. Like, it's beautiful. It, it has got that hyper-real quality to it and yet it's this there's this gigantic naked body that basically the locals kind of investigate and walk all over and kind of abuse really and so it's and it's really it's just fascinating it's kind of it's got this quite portentous narration that actually is quite poetic and, and I think most of it taken straight from the story and it's just and you kind of don't really know where it's going and what it's saying except it's saying something about this this dead corpse and how this dead corpse is being abused and exploited kind of thing and for being freaky this huge thing but it's just it's quite a stunning thing I thought it was absolutely brilliant so um, yeah I would recommend it The Drowned Giant in season two of the otherwise quite annoying Love, Death and Robots. <laughs> and by the way, it's nothing to do with love or robots, but it kind of is to do with death. Um, so yeah, that was the most exciting thing. And then the only other thing I was going to mention was keep Inside Number 9 is proving to be an even better series than all the other fucking brilliant series of it. It's always brilliant. But I'm loving this series. And the one that's next week's one, this week's one takes place mostly in a room and is involving um, people doing lip reading, and it's quite clever. But next week's episode, all I'll say is it stars Adrian Dunbar as himself. <laughs> yeah, and it is magnificent. And it hits upon all kind of other thing, TV tropes, use the word, about um, TV, real-life true crime series. Um, and it's got a whole thing about the way TV's made and exploiting kind of normal people. But it just has to be seen to believe. But Adrian Dunbar playing himself and alluding to the fact that he stars in Line of Duty, etc., is just brilliant. That's a treat coming up next Monday. That sounds good. I, 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 that's tempting me to watch that. Also, that and the fandom episode, which I've been told that I fandom need to watch as well. Fandom episode is great as well, yeah, mm. yeah. They're yeah. really ratcheting up the kind of self-referential, you know, <laughs> playful side of things. Like every episode refers to other shows, TV shows, um, pop culture things. I find it so, it's, but in a kind of really funny, entertaining, we don't give a shit, you know, way. I think it's great. Okay. All right. I, that may persuade me to uh, to watch that. Boy, do you traumatise that Terry didn't like Secession? I am a bit traumatised, but I think... Um, I'm not surprised because I've all, I've never I've never denied that it gets off to a slightly slow start. It did get off to a slow start, and I myself, I think, if I'm honest, as I've said to you before, only started absolutely loving it by episode six. Yeah. So, and I know that's a lot for people to deal with. You have to get through five or six episodes. <laughs> I think there's really good stuff throughout. I think there's really really good stuff all the way through, but there are, but it's not perfect, and I think they worked out ways uh, th what makes it brilliant and what makes it thrilling probably halfway through season one mm. um and from then it just flies 
And I think see, for the rest of season one is incredibly thrilling. And season two is just nonstop, nonstop <laughs> wild fun ride. And so I hope that, I just hope Terry, who, by the way, just walked out of the, Terry's of the left. room. Like, this is the reason Terry's why we're filibustering at the moment yeah. is Terry's just got up and Terry's walked left. away but without is, any explanation. Yeah, but this is, I genuinely think this. I, I, so I really hope she gets through those first, that first tranche of episodes yeah. to get to the midway point and then she'll really enjoy the rest of it. I think this Up might be a belated point. reaction to my Game of Thrones uh, monologue. Be, yeah. <laughs> this like, is... I can't take it anymore, I've left. Yeah. She's walked really out into the streets <laughs> to join the sparrow. She's carving the seven-pointed star into her yeah. forehead and wearing It's sackcloth. also quite reminiscent of that, um, what was that, that film which was also on Zoom, wasn't it, where suddenly people Host. disappear. Host. It's mm. a bit host-like because we're you left with an image. think she's been killed by like a demon? Well, we've just got a shot of the empty chair and the window. That's true. It's quite stark. It's quite it a stark is. shot. Oh, she is. No, she's there we she are. There we yeah. are. She's come back. Well, it is good to have you back, Terry, just in time for the listener question, which this week comes from Beth Wag, who says, After rewatching ER on all four, I've realised that when it was first on and I was a teenager, I saw the characters the way I now see them. As a teenager, Kerry Weaver was annoying, got in the way of the other cooler characters. But now in my 40s, I realise that Kerry was just trying to run a good and successful emergency department while others dick around and break the rules, meaning that a lot more people might lose their job. Um, which characters or programmes have come completely changed as your perspective of them has changed with time so there's something about suddenly identifying for me suddenly identifying with the parents position um and that that happens in both film and tv i remember the last time i watched dirty dancing thinking dr houseman is like absolutely right to be worried about baby running around with Johnny. Like if that was my daughter, I'd have locked her in the fucking house. When actually, you know, as a teenager, I was like, you can't keep their love from each other. He's like a good soul. You don't know anything, Dr. Houseman, about love. You snob, you massive elitist, awful snob. Now I'm like, fair enough, because, you know, chances are. But on telly, I had it recently with Sex in the City. Because I watched Sex and the City um, in my very early 20s. When I first moved to London, uh, I lived with a house full of girls and we used to watch Sex and the City together. And obviously that's what you dream your life's going to turn into. And the Carrie and Mr. Big relationship, specifically when it first started, and there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole run of episodes where they've been dating. He's resistant to kind of making it more official. She does things like tries to leave little items at his house and he basically then brings them to her apartment in a bag going, oh, you left some stuff at mine. Um, she says she loves him. He doesn't say it back. And I remember when I was 21 thinking, he is wrong. He should commit to her. There's a whole episode where she says she's meant to be going to Bob, but he's taking her to Barbados, right? He's literally taking her on holiday. And she says, <laughs> just tell me I'm the one. And he's like, oh, Carrie, come on. And then she's like, just tell me or basically it's over. And because he won't say to her she's the one after months of dating, she sacks him off. And before that, she'd seen him and she'd seen him and his mother at a church and basically wanted to wangle an invitation to meet his mum. So she turned up at the church with her mate and spied on them and then dropped a Bible over this is way too much detail, but dropped a Bible <laughs> over the balcony. Basically, I mean it's not considering James talked us through Basically alerting Mr. Big to the fact she was up there. And he's like, What are you doing here? And she's like, Oh, you know, I uh, just wanted to meet your mum. You turned up at his the church his family goes to to wangle a in person meeting with his mother, who he's not ready to introduce you to yet. And I remember watching this as a young woman thinking, Bin him. 
spin him off. He's not the one for you. Why won't he introduce him to his mother? What's wrong with him? And then I'm looking back on it now as a 41-year-old woman. I'm like, the woman is a psychopath. Like, you are stalking the man you've been dating for a few months. He, you've you've made him introduce you to his mother awkwardly. There's a brilliant line where she goes, oh, my name's Carrie. He, she goes, mm-hmm. She goes, Carrie, Carrie. And then she's like, the woman had never heard of me. Well, of course she'd never heard of you. You've been dating him a few months. So I really now kind of empathise with Mr. Big and the fact that, you know, if a man won't proclaim I'm the one, then I'm going to shove his Barbados holiday back at him. No, no. So that that really, like, shook me to my core because my romantic, it, I was like, God, I probably made all of those same mistakes in my 20s and you think the woman is what you're like the woman is being wronged you know all she wants is a commitment all she wants is to meet his mom all she wants is him to say you're the love of my you're the one doesn't seem particularly reasonable now does it so i've been wanting to get off that off my chest for a while i have to say mr big was actually all right has your um favorite so who would you say your favorite character in sex and city is Harry. has that changed right and has that always been that yeah, but I do. Okay. She's still my favorite, but I find her more irritating. So yeah, the kind of I was gonna say yeah, all of the things that I thought made her cool, and the fact that she didn't take any shit from men when actually she can be really needy. She does occasionally stalk them, and is quite also cruel to other men's you know feelings. Mm. What she did to Aiden, she cheated on yep. him, and then basically yep. agreed to marry him, even though she clearly didn't want to marry him told him there was nothing else left between her and Mr. Big, the man she then ended up actually marrying. The whole setup of the movie, which is the pain of being left at the altar, what actually happened is he rang her and said, oh, I can't do it. And then went, oh, I'm being daft, I'm coming. And she was like, no, and she ran off. So like that whole, I find her slightly like all of those awful kind of female tropes about, oh, she's a hysterical kind of psychotic woman mm. she has a bit of a touch of that sometimes i have to say and i think sometimes yeah. you can tell she wasn't necessarily written by a group of women that it, it wasn't mm. a, a, a group of women created by women because they are quite archetypal and carrie is a little bit irritating and egocentric and uh yeah, yeah. she's quite narcissistic actually in some she episodes. is yeah she is yeah oh, um yeah i think bad. i like i think i like miranda i think i like miranda best now i think it's changed every- yeah. i think miranda was like you know kind of seen as a bit of a boring kind of you know traditional uninspiring weight on the group but i think she's kind of comes out emerges possibly the best and i don't think she'd actually have been friends with those girls in real life right. because there's a bit yeah. where they're all moaning about their boyfriends carrie's moaning about mr big I think Samantha is when she was going out with James and his penis wasn't big enough. Charlotte's moaning about something and Miranda stands up and says, we can't talk about anything other than men. Like, give me a ring when you want yes, to talk about something yes. else Amazing, apart from yeah. men. And yeah. I think that would have been her vibe to the group all the time, which is she was always really politically engaged. So it's always like really focused on her career. She was just, she had other things outside of men and sex. And I don't, I, as I've got older, I found it harder to understand that how that friendship group worked because actually as women yeah. they didn't necessarily have a lot in common from like attitudes in terms of interests or stuff like that apart from shagging and drinking <laughs> yeah which is universal arguably 
I had a similar thing. Re- I rewatched some episodes of Girls re- re- in the last couple of weeks, and I have a similar thing about um, Lena Dunham in a way because I think I always thought because I remember people having issues with Girls right from the start of it being her kind of her privilege, her um, her whole attitude, her self absorption, and I always defended her. I always defended Hannah, basically her character, Hannah, and I thought, well, yeah, but you know, there are people like that, and that you know, they have reasons for how they are. But then I re- rewatched the episode, and she's kind of insufferable. She's, she's absolutely insufferable. She's horrendous. Yeah, and even like Adam, who I always thought, oh, he's a kind of pretentious prick, you know. But actually, I like really like Adam. Yeah, <laughs> kind of Adam. Yeah, you're in the so Adam right. Hannah, because you're yeah. in that first season. You, the setup is meant to be he's you know he's just using her for sex he's not he she's kind of wanting more he won't give it to her but actually when you rewatch it back she's she chases him for commitment he gives her that commitment and then she bins him off and that's when he famously steps into the road and like has his arm broken (laughs) gets hit by a truck but the entire thing is is actually the way she manipulates him is really clear and the way and the how she behaves towards her mates like she's not yeah. oh god yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah um I, I, my other example to answer this question is house oh so house which i love i always go on bang on about house but again i rewatched an episode recently the house gets shown quite a lot on sky atlantic it's all on um it's on um, amazon prime i think and i watched an episode to remind myself of, of liking it but it, again house himself is an absolute fucking monster. And obviously that's the whole point. He is monstrous, like Sherlock Holmes. So, the you know, it was always based on Sherlock Holmes and, you know, Sherlock being difficult and, um, you know, just completely obsessed with solving the crime and House is obsessed with solving the illness of the weak. Uh, uh, you know, and so that's his one thing and he's an incredible genius. The maverick genius. So that 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 cliche of the maverick genius, that's like starting to irritate me. It's in Halston as well. So in Halston, you know, Hugh McGregor's playing this designer and he's the maverick genius and everyone has to bow down before his genius and he treats everyone like shit. And I'm finding it more and more difficult to enjoy dramas that treat those men, it's always men, as maverick geniuses. And you're kind of in the end still supposed to love them despite the fact that they're abusing their staff and their colleagues and bullying people. He's a bully, basically, House. There's no two ways about it. And I think now, particularly just the point we've reached now where actual famous people in the creative industries particularly being being you know exposed and called out for bullying as a thing i think it it's, makes these kind of things feel a bit queasier now than they did back then so i think back then i was like i love house he's amazing he's brilliant hugh Lloyd's fantastic i don't care he's just wants to get the get the job done it doesn't matter who else he abuses and bullies along the way and now i'm like every now and then it just goes a bit far it's a bit much and everyone the lives of the poor people who have to put up with him abusing them and calling them basically calling them out for being all shit and idiots and morons and only he can find the answers to things is a bit more difficult to deal with i'm impressed that you've both grown as people i'm not sure that (laughs) my my sympathies for tv shows ever evolve over time i think they are locked at the moment i access the show and never to be changed again unless you count the fact that now i'm clearly far more sympathetic to mass murdering despots on Mm. dragonback so uh i mean maybe that shows i've grown as a person to become less averse to torching civilians who knows but generally i find that it it is when i watch them so like i now i can't like it, it breaks my brain to think that when Frasier joined the cast of Cheers, he was 27 years old. <laughs> 27 oh God, years wow. old. Like, whereas even now, if you put that episode in front of me, I would see him as a middle-aged man who was decades older than me. That's how I would see it. You know, and I didn't even watch this when it first aired because I was too young. Cliff and Norm, Cliff and Norm, 35 and 33 respectively. What the f- 
fuck. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I cannot imagine a world mm. where these people are younger than me. That doesn't make sense to me. And I think even now, like when I watch Buffy, I see these people as like my peers, like they're teenagers, because that's the age I was when I first watched it. And that kind of locked my sympathy to those characters and my perspective to those characters. And I find it kind of hard to adjust that even now. Um, it's, it's what everyone says. I mean, obviously this, this question wasn't prompted by the Friends thing, but it's definitely connected to that. The way well, there've been so much talk with the trailer, which I'm sure we'll get into, that came out. You've seen the, the cast now, and everyone's like, they look so old. It's like, of course they it. do. It's been fucking decades. Old. Well, I made this point the other week, didn't I, about you did. they're you did. beamed into our living rooms at the age yes. of 27. Therefore, in yep. our heads, they're always 27. They're always but, 27. But I worked mm. out the other day that I think I'm older to um, Monica's mum and dad's age than I am to Monica at Peak Friends now. So I, and that, I was like, what the fuck? We're, and also, like, Dr. Burke, right? So when I can totally see now why Dr. Burke was... Well, actually, I can't see why he wanted to be pals with them when he was trying to be play foosball with Joey and Chandler. And it's like, oh, my God, we are Dr. Berg. We are Dr. Berg. And they seem really young to me now. They seem really, really young when they're messing about and they're in their 20s. And Dr. Berg's there with his good job, you know, and he's had grown-up kids. And we are Dr. Berg's age. We are Mr. and Mrs. Geller. Speak for yourself. Yeah. I'm still convinced I'm like 15, so... That's really funny, though. So you haven't ever had the experience because are you still identifying with so Buffy, for example, or do you identify with Mrs. Summers? I will. I will always identify with the kids, like because that's That's when I first watched the show. I think if I watch the show now for the first time, it would be different. But I think because I experienced it when I was a teenager, that's my access point. These are my people. You know, as as I kind of live the narrative as it plays out, I guess I kind of inhabit the point of view characters. So you know. yeah, but, but you, who knows? Like, if I saw it for the first time now, maybe I don't. You know, and even when I watch teen shows now, like because I quite like YA fiction, I still identify with you know the younger characters and not the characters my age. If they oh, yeah, really I think are that's, any. that's that's fine. That's but, normal. Yeah, I'd say. But think about so when I first watched Dawson's Creek as a teenager, and there's mm. a whole thing about Dawson's mum having an affair, and I was like, ew. Oh, old people having sex. Oh, and now, when, when I rewatched it recently, I was like, Mrs. Mrs. Leary has needs, right? And so, like, she has needs. She's still a young woman. She's only, what, probably like late 30s. Like, she has needs and she's still a sexual woman. Just because she's your mother, Dawson, doesn't mean that she doesn't get to be a sexual being. <laughs> wow just me wow. i've not yeah. i've yeah. not revisited <laughs> dawson's creek though i will say i watched dawson's creek for the first time in my 20s actually i was at empire at the time and i binge watched the whole thing in the course of a month so i came to that all quite late apropos of nothing have you told us what the answer to your answer to this question is yet i don't think i have no you have a question i don't think i've changed my perspective really like anything no. So you selected this question and you, and you have no answer to it. Is that what you're I mean, telling us? I'm not saying I pulled the first question I saw out of the hat. Wow. <laughs> this is a good question. Yeah, it is well, a good yeah, question. You both yeah. loved it. So this I thought, is, okay, let's go with it. I don't know that I have an answer. This is a question but... we should be having because it provokes discussion and yeah. debate. Apart yeah. from you are so entrenched in your <laughs> eternal position that you can never reconsider anything or change your mind. <laughs> 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 Which makes oh, the slide tricky. 
yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That said, we did just, you know, endure a 17-minute apology to Boyd, so yeah. Yeah. I'm counting that as character growth. Anyway, Beth, we hope you enjoyed that answer. If you would like to have your question addressed on this particular podcast, then do send them to us via DM at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter. Shall we get into this week's news? We've already kind of touched on the Friends reunion trailer, uh, which mm. went out, which is the second after the sort of teaser they did. What did you think of it? How did it make you feel? I mean, I A, it's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like that so dominate social media and the internet for days and days and days from mm. essentially a, to a couple of, what, two and a half minutes or whatever it was. Um I mean, there's so much to talk about with this because at the same time, the um, People magazine cover came out. So People magazine were the only outlet on set. They went um, they went there, they watched it, they did a behind the scenes thing. It is their cover this week. And there's so much to talk about. But just if we start with feelings, which is where I like to begin, <laughs> it just, I have to say, because I'd been like, meh, meh, you know, or it's just going to be them sat around talking and we're that bothered. Just seeing them together. And there were some brilliant callbacks in that trailer, right? There was, you know, the when uh, Phoebe spots Monica and Chandler for the first time. Monica and Chandler, Monica and Chandler, my eyes! Like, doing those little riffs, hinting at stuff they're clearly either going to be doing table reads for again. Um, and just those little moments, the the one with the, um, um, what do you call it? The ep- what was the episode name? Where they, it's when they lost the apartment, essentially. The one with the... The one where they lost the apartment? No, because it, it was based actually around Phoebe's... Because Phoebe's, um, that's when Phoebe was trying to get pregnant with Frank and Alice's child. So it's actually named after that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But there's a, there was a bit with Ross asking the questions and they were... But just seeing them together in the same room, clearly it was emotional for them. I don't know, I'm a sucker, man. I was sucked right in. It made me feel really excited. It made me feel really kind of sad for all the years that I've passed. It made me feel really, really fucking old <laughs> as well. Um, I don't know. It, it, I have to say, it got me in a way that I didn't think it would. Because yeah. I wasn't jazzed by the concept, yeah. but it really fucking like, I felt a bit teary, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was brilliant. It's, br- it's a brilliant um, enticement to watch, isn't it? And it just because I think, yeah, I think the general there was a general still people t- people were tweeting us, um, or certainly me last week about saying, oh, I, so this friends reunion isn't a scripted episode. Then yeah, I'm like, no, same here. yeah, same here. Mm. so that's still, I mean, you know, still is is the thing if people are kind of disappointed about. But what's interesting is remember they did the in betweeners did a reunion thing on Channel Four. I don't know if either of you saw it. I used to, so I love the Inbetweeners, and um, the Inbetweeners, you know, is is for a lot of people an iconic show. No, not by quite the way, the same scale, not, though, no, really. no, 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 I know, but it was massive. It was absolutely massive. Remember, two films were the biggest films of that year when they were released in cinemas in this country. Just to remind you of what a phenomenon the Inbetweeners was. Anyway, they did a reunion, right, in the similar, in the similarly done to the how the Friends reunion is going to be, except it was excruciating disaster because kind of the cast kind of wasn't really up for it. They were a bit embarrassed by the whole thing, by coming back together again. They were a bit reluctant. They were kind of moved on, you know. There's no way. It was just awkward and difficult and contrived and an absolute embarrassment from start to finish. (laughs) I I, I apologise to anyone if any of the producers are listening. But it was painful. Whereas this, 
And I think a lot of people, British people, particularly who might have seen that, would be thinking, "Oh, you know, who cares? It's going to be awkward and difficult, and they're not." But you're like, it's classic difference between American American stars in a way and British stars. They fucking embrace this thing, and they have that could not be more, could they? Excited, emotional, as, as so. I think all because for friends, fans like we all are, there's a real, that, that it, it, you're kind of like slightly, slightly dreading the possibility that doesn't mean as much to them as it means to us. But actually that trailer brilliantly showed that it means a massive amount to them. You know, they're all on the verge of tears all the way through. I mean, Chandler, you know, Matthew, Matthew Perry, when he, he starts winning up, I mean, that is like a big moment. So I just thought the whole thing was incredible and it's going to be an incredibly emotional um, fascinating. And airs this week, so, isn't it? It's on the 27th, yeah, 27th. on HBO Max. Yeah. And it's airing on the 27th here as well at 8pm on Sky One. And wow. then there was all this, there were actual news reports about why James Corden was hosting it. So obviously James oh, yeah. Corden is the host of this. And I saw there was a Daily Mirror report saying, James Corden's production company exposed as being behind Friends Reunion oh. show. <laughs> like it was like a massive Sp- piece of breaking news. Amazing. That he's hosting it because he also is is involved with the production company. But it's also the team for his show, right, Boyd? Yeah. Ben Winston, who's mm. his exec producer, who, who's a friend of mine. Um, yeah, he ben, ben put it together. Ben produced, directed it, put the whole thing together, spent hours and hours um with each of the friends and uh yeah and he is he is the exec one of the top the two exec producers of um james's show so yeah it's compl- always going to be makes sense that james hosted it yeah completely and people being annoyed again oh fuck don't get me started on people being snotty and annoyed because james is going to do a brilliant job hosting this show of course he will. <laughs> he's, the he's very line. good at this yeah. like there's a reason and why he's so him. successful in america the guests on his show love him he, he had barack obama on this week yes yeah, i, I mean and barack obama and it was great it was a really it was a really fun interview i don't understand the cordon hate at all oh well, i really it's, don't it's so annoying yeah it's so annoying but there we go so friends reunion trailer we're very excited about we yes. all want to watch it excellent uh should we can we have a moment of silence for something that passed away this week which was fox uk uh so if you were ever <laughs> yes. if you were ever hoping to see <laughs> you know the graveyard where all cancelled shows go yeah. to kind of live in their eternal slumber uh then sadly you're gonna have to look elsewhere everything on fox uk is going to move to star on disney plus and fox uk is being given a viking burial it was nice to have a home for shows that were cancelled seven yeah. years ago, though. But, yeah, it yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. look, they're debuting a show that was cancelled yeah. in 2004. Yeah. Hooray! I mean, as we're about to find out, Disney Plus is a bit like that anyway. But, <laughs> well, yeah, but this, yeah. it's the it's nature Star of it, isn't Disney it? Plus. Yeah, they're yeah. inheriting all of the cancelled yeah. shows. Yeah. Fox UK, then, that died this week. Yeah, there was a whole raft of BBC drama announcements this week, yes. wasn't there? Terry, and I, there's one that Terry is very excited about, I know for a fact. There is one I'm very excited about. So it's Shane Meadows uh, is making his first uh, show for the BBC, obviously has a long-standing relationship with Channel 4, which is where he did um, This Is England and Virtues. But he has gone with the Beeb for an adaptation of The Gallows poll. Now, this is a book by Benjamin Myers, who is an incredible British writer. Really, there's nobody like him working today. He's a, a Yorkshire-based author. He's really kind of into, um, uh, I suppose, British rural life. Um, and he's won tons of awards for his books, including the Walter Scott Prize for Historical Fiction, which is a massive deal. 
his books are incredible, really visceral, really raw. Um, and uh, it absolutely 100% makes sense that he would work with Shane Meadows. They, to my mind, have a very similar sensibility and concerns and preoccupations. This seems like a fucking marriage made in heaven, quite frankly. I am so beside myself for this. If you haven't read The Gallows Pole, have a read. Um this is going to be amazing. There's no date yet because they're, I think, shooting September onwards. Um, but yeah, this is going to be so good. Shane Meadows is coming back. <laughs> see, see, your excitement over this is like my excitement when I tell you that The Wheel of Time has been renewed for season two ahead of its season one debut. And I'm like, come on, oh Wheel of God. Time, Robert Jordan. <laughs> There'll be ice to die all over the place. <laughs> My <laughs> I really hope I really hope they like debut in the same week and we're reviewing the Shane Meadows thing oh, that and the Wheel of Time that would, be, that would be a dream so they had this big that was part of mm. they had the, um, the the general announcements were were really exciting I thought like um, Stefan Golachevsky who wrote um, Mum and him and her is doing a drama about marriage a four-parter about marriage Cash Carraway um, Daisy May Cooper is going to star in that an adaptation of the book um, Skint Estate, which is also amazing. Right. Very new, so new. Yeah. Skint yeah. Estate. Skint Estate. Cash, Honestly, Cash the Carraway. most Terry type. The most Terry. Yeah, <laughs> she's Cash Carraway. She's she's an incredible uh, working class writer, playwright, and she wrote this incredible. I think I read it in a day and a half, which is about her life as a single mum. She was a stripper for a while while she was pregnant to make ends meet. It's a absolutely kind of insane story. She writes pretty much unlike anyone else. And this, I mean, it's it's an incredible book to adapt. Um, I think Billy Piper was kind of uh, involved at some point in the production. I'm not sure Uh. if she still is in, in actually adapting it. But this, it's, it's a massive deal and it'll be yeah. like... It's, it's the Killing Eve people producing it um, yeah. now. So that's, that's interesting, yeah. There's also this adaptation of a book that hasn't come out yet called Wahala, which is described um, from BAFTA nominated writer Teresa Ikoku. And it's described as, um, uh, think Big Little Lies meets Girlfriends meets Peckham. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> Um, so, but what I was going to say was, amid all of these, uh, um, Dolly Alderson's Dolly adapting Alderton's, her own book, yeah. Alderson, yeah. Um, among all of these announcements, they buried the lead. So they did this big BBC drama um, re- reveal uh, this week. I think it was on Wednesday, um, and then at some point, someone mentioned almost as an aside. Oh yeah, and we're working with Michaela Cole on her next project. I'm like, hold on, this is the news. Michaela Cole is doing working on a new project for the BBC. So that is for me is the most exciting takeaway of the whole fucking thing. Yeah. And we have no idea what it is, if it's a series or one-off or whatever, about what, who knows. But fucking all we need is to know is Michaela Cole has got a new thing and she's working on it and it's going to be on the BBC. Anything else happening? I know Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, sort of Netflix spy, well, his spy series is going to Netflix. That is the thing that he's doing. He's playing the dad of Monica Barbaro's kind of teen spy person. Um and that is all I know of. That's fine, yeah. Excellent. Well, let's call that news, shall we? Um, and let's move on then to this week's reviews. First this week, we have Solos, which dropped on Amazon on Friday and has a rather astonishing cast list, I think it's safe to say. It's got Anthony Mackie, Helen Mirren, uh, Morgan Freeman, Anne Hathaway, to name a few. Um, created by David Weil. And this is an anthology collection with a sci-fi angle uh, that collates a bunch of one-handers where the episode star ruminates on the human condition. Isn't that right, Boyd? Yes. So this is, it's from, it's created by David Weil, Weil, um, who created Hunters, the Jewish Nazi hunting 
um, series which I quite enjoyed um, with Al Pacino, among mm. others. And this is, it's a kind of very high concept. So this is like one of those exercises, I feel, that some sometimes comes up in, in television where a creator goes, wouldn't it be fun, interesting, if I impose these limitations on these stories and see what happens? So these are all, as the title suggests, solos, but I just didn't quite hit me until I started watching them that this was what it was going to be. Each episode is basically one actor and uh, either narrating going through their life. Maybe in one episode, Helen Mirren's one, in one of them and she interacts with the on-board computer like Hal from 2001 yeah. um, and that film on Netflix recently, that French film on Netflix that I've forgotten the name of where it's a woman trapped and she just talks to the computer as well. Oxygen. Thank you, Oxygen. And um, <laughs> there's an episode uh, with Anthony Mackie who is talking to his own clone. So that they kind of... So it's basically... What he said is, I'm going to come up, David Viles gone, I'm going to come up with stories, anthology, different story each episode, but they're linked thematically. They're all science fiction-y um, in a kind of, you know, in a kind of smart, clever way. And it can be any type of science fiction. Um, so one of them is in a spaceship, another one's talking about, you know, on the, is just talking to his own clone. And um, the talent involved is incredible. Morgan Freeman, Anne Hathaway, Helen Mirren, as I mentioned, Anthony Mackie, as I mentioned, Constance Wu, Dan Stevens, Nicole Bahari, David Vile directing, Sam Taylor-Johnson directs a couple of episodes, Zach Braff directs Indeed. some episodes. And you think, oh, my God, this is all going to be amazing. It's brilliant. It's like the new Black Mirror. But, oh, my God, I found it really irritating <laughs> and annoying <laughs> and contrived and... Yes, and I just thought, <laughs> thank you. Oh, it was like it was so it was a bit like the experience of the Apple TV Plus thing with the soundscapes that you like, oh, James. Yes, you that Terry and I both didn't like. But in a way, this was even more annoying. And I'll tell you why, because this you have more hopes for. This is, you know, yeah, it could work, but it's just an idea and a concept. Um, for a show rather than an actual thing that feels organic stories that they want to tell. And it all felt very contrived, as I say. Um, and even the kind of scripting of it, the dialogue didn't work for me. The one where um, Anthony Mackie is talking to his own clone was was just awkward. And there's, oh, by the way, so I watched that one. Then I watched the Helen Mirren one. And I don't know if it's coincidence, but there's stuff about farting yes, in both of them. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've written this fart? down. I've written down weirdly fart obsessed. Yeah, obsessed with farting. <laughs> and you're like, and that summed it up for me. I was like, oh, I find that word, that word is annoying. And it doesn't, it kind of takes you out. I think it takes, and it's like a simple way for a writer to go, oh, I'm being, I'm keeping things real. You know, we're going to talk about bodily functions and farting. That's how real I'm keeping it, guys. You know, you could almost sense him like, and Helen Mirren going, oh, do I really have to talk about farting? Yes, you do. Because it's going to show how real your character is. No, it just kind of takes you out of it a bit. And it also all feels a bit try hard. Oh, I didn't get on with it at all. Couldn't agree more. And I was so disappointed because look, this can be done. It's, it's also not a new idea, right? So this can be done if we think about talking heads, for example. Yeah. But that isn't, that, that isn't what this is. And what you have in talking heads is proper kind of stories with layers. The way that is scripted is genius. The, everything you learn through those performances and the amount of kind of weight in the narrative and the, it's just, it's full of humanity and heart. And, and it's hard to do, I think. But this doesn't do it at all. It feels really thin, the writing. Um, 
And, you know, I think they described it as it, it's about the deeper meaning of human connection as explored through the lens of the individual, which A, it's fucking <laughs> word salad, doesn't mean anything, <laughs> but B, I didn't feel like that. And that's quite a loose remit to hook all these stories on. Like Boyd said, I watched the Anthony Mackie one and the Helen Mirren one, and I found both just lacking. The Helen Mirren one, I had to watch three times because I kept, oh because I kept zoning out, because I couldn't, oh, like, God, it, no. it isn't, compa- and it's not, it's Helen fucking Mirren. She is a compelling actor. She is one of our finest living actors, but it was the material. And it was just doesn't hook you. It doesn't have the right pacing, the right rhythm, the the layers of storytelling that, that have to be peeled back. And the, the way you're meant to go deeper and deeper and deeper as part of that doesn't happen. You stay on the same le- same surface level throughout the entire thing. I had to check it was only 27 minutes because I was like, how long has this <laughs> been going on for? I just, I felt really, really disappointed. And I think when you have talent like this, performing, performance talent like this, it's baffling to me. The Anthony Mackie one kind of had an interesting concept, but then they, you know, the stuff that is, hinted at but then almost the confidence isn't there to follow through with that so then just in case you didn't pick up on what that that noise meant or what that actual kind of more oblique sentence meant we are now going to tell you very very explicitly what it means and so there's no subtlety or nuance to it I just found it really really disappointed and it didn't in any way I think have anything interesting to say or reveal or dig into about humanity about the human experience about connections between people and i think there is so much better stuff out there in in either this basic concept you know a black mirror kind of world Mm. or just in this kind of format i think both have been done before both have been done better i was really really gutted i have to say because i was really looking forward to this but on the two i watched i found it incredibly disappointing yeah the the the, um the blurb for it on the on the poster is explore humanity oh Mm. oh my god do me a favor i mean yeah it really made you appreciate how good soulmates and black mirror and i know they're not they don't confine themselves to 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 any to that stupid thing, stupid thing of every one actor. I mean, one handers are hard to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not easy to make compelling. I think keeping them short was at least a mercy. Um, the only thing I will say in its defence is I think at points there was a, an emotional sort of poignancy to it at times. Whereas I like I, I watched the same ones you two. I watched the two fart obsessed episodes, Anthony Mackie and Helen Mirren, and um, and I they were both just just desperately sad episodes and i thought there was an emotional truth to it you know in his case he was coming to terms with his own mortality and the fact that life and his family were gone without him you know how he deals with that and the idea of having a replacement him like what is the sense of self what is it that makes up the self i quite liked that and i liked her her some reminiscence on you know on regrets and opportunities lost and the invisibility of age and you know sort of the transience of youth i thought there was a lot of sort of you know quite sad poignant stuff in there i mean don't get me wrong i was bored off my absolute tits but i thought but the manipulation and the heavy-handedness right of, yeah of, sure. of both of those things is they are of course interesting concepts which have been looked at before let's be honest but yeah. the, the way but that's the thing when you have a one-hander you have to be able to know where in the writing it do we need to be subtle and, and have nuance and where do we press a certain button and I always I'm quite kind of 
I hate feeling like somebody's pressing the, now it's the time to have a feeling button. This is the sad bit. I felt myself being manipulated. And I think there, there almost wasn't like a belief, enough belief in the, in either the material or the audience. I think audiences are really sophisticated these days. I think we don't have to be shown everything and given everything on a plate. I think we're smart human beings who can, who can bring our own perspective to it. But I, I just felt like it was like, okay, now we're going to make you feel sad. And here's, here's something written in quite a kind of heavy handed way to ensure you understand that this is the bit which is meant to make you feel sad. Do you think they would have worked better as one hand of stage productions? I kind of feel that if you were there in the flesh watching it in person, it might be more captivating. No, because it's like, right, so Fleabag, right? So I watched Fleabag first as telly and then mm. I went and watched um, the stage performance. Same, yeah. The, the, the absolute skill in that when I'm talking about Lairs, the way that Phoebe Waller-Bridge tells that story, the journey she takes you on, the the brilliant genius of that writing, that is compelling and captivating whether you're on stage, whether you're on telly. I think sometimes people go, oh, it's just a stagey thing. That's why it doesn't work for telly. It can work for telly. I don't think this would be particularly exciting on stage either i think it's i think it's about the writing not the format for me and um and i don't think it's any any kind of uh criticism of any performance in this i think it's just the way it was written and plotted and and the kind of narrative yeah. arc and all of that just didn't really work for me anyway. and also you're right i agree and also alan bennett you know like one of yeah. the greatest writers writing essentially in the monologues you know he's he's giving us and same with fleabag in fact fleabag is really in the monologue isn't it you know that mm. these are these are the writers gone what how can i work out a way in which i can somehow convince everyone watching that Helen Mirren is actually talking to this onboard computer and that's and he's set himself the task of working out a way it's like a problem solving exercise for him it's an exercise the whole thing is an exercise I'm going to get these solo st big stars to talk for half an hour and there'll be a way of making it work that and that's different and it, that's the problem with it it is in the clunkiness of the whole idea and whereas Talking Heads and Fleabag and the, and the examples of monologues and plays that are just one per, one person shows is there's it's 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 authentically works because there's a story to tell and the format is not is not being is not one person talking to you for the hell of it that's the whole point of it in a way is there in the monologue there in the thoughts that we're getting to see and hear. No Love Then for Solo, <laughs> which is available in its entirety on Amazon now. Next, though, we have Rebel on Star, which sees Katie Sagal as a take-no-shit activist fighting for the rights of the downtrodden against corrupt corporations. Uh, this show was actually based on the life of Erin Brockovich, uh, but it was cancelled after its first season. So the question, Terry, is did it deserve to be? Uh, yeah. I mean, so it, it's, it's really hard to watch a show when you know it's been cancelled, and I tried not to to let that colour my viewing of it. And I always think that when, you know, disappears on telly and you know in the back of your head it's already been cancelled, you have to make a leap to kind of go into it with an open mind. This is essentially Erin Brockovich on the telly and Erin Brockovich is a producer on this. Now, I loved the film Erin Brockovich um, and what um, Steven Soderbergh did was so amazing because he took a story that could be seen as quite broad, quite emotionally manipulative. Um, and he gave both the character and the story, you know, there was a rawness to it. She was funny. There was a, a, an underlying sense of reality under that character in the film, as well as the charm, as well as all of those other things. And 
I fucking loved that film. I loved Julia Roberts' performance. Um, now, we have to remember that this is the ABC kind of take on it. So this is network telly, right? So I think you have... Isn't it just? I think you have to expect <laughs> something. I'm going to use the words emotionally broader. Uh, maybe cheesier and it is created by uh christopher Noffer, who uh wrote and exec produced on gray's anatomy so it's kind of in that vibe as you say katie sagel plays um anna flynn reed bellow otherwise known as rebel because she's a wait for it rebel um who is trying to balance professional life um well professional justice crusading life is how i'd describe it with her very messy personal and family life, which and all of this is essentially kind of the same as in the film. So it opens on this uh, on this party scene where she essentially crashes a party by this big corporate guy, uh, played by Adam Arkin, actually, um, who has got a heart valve that's apparently like killing loads of people and is dead bad. And she crashes this party, sets the whole thing up, wants to get arrested. She's kind of this this crusader for justice, but there's also that sense of her having an ego and wanting to be seen as being at the forefront of all of this stuff. And then she works with this investigator played by Tamala Jones, um, who, by the way, there's a scene where she chases a guy and the stunt double is... I actually had to re- rewind it twice. It is one of the worst... <laughs> Stunt doubles I've ever seen. I think it was a man who's dead, but anyway, that's a whole different thing. So she has three different kids by three different dads. Um, one of them's a doctor. One of them's also an attorney. I mean, there's just, there is a lot going on in this first episode. There's also her two ex-husbands. There's John Corbett, who we know was Aiden in Sex and the City, who's her third husband, who might be cheating on her, might be wanting to leave her. We don't know. There's then Andy Garcia being... The most OTT Andy Garcia Andy Garcia has ever been. Who is her dead best friend's husband? Oh, and also her boss. And then on top of all that, you've also got a, essentially a case of the week. So in this case, it's a um, a domestic abuse victim who uh, is arrested after she fights back against her boyfriend. So you've got all of this stuff happening. And I think it's fair to say, you know, we were just talking about this with the other show and... This is has none of the subtlety and nuance of Erin Brockovich, the film. It is incredibly heavy-handed. It's the the world is only made of black and white. There is not a speck of grey. And it's, I mean, talking about emotional manipulation. And there's just, I mean, some of the writing is so on the nose. There's a line where um John Corbett, just so we understand that he's a bit of a dick says you care more about getting on the news than you do about coming home to cook me dinner and all the women go coming home to cook you dinner and we're like we get it we get it he's a prick we get it he's a prick um and i have to say so i liked i did like her i think that katie sagel is really charming you know is really kind of you do kind of root for her she has a real charm about her but it is to network TV, and I say that with love in my heart, kind of, but it's just, there's no subtlety, there's no nuance, it is so on the nose, um, but also a bit confused at the same time. There's a line when she basically says, oh, but you know, not all corporations are bad, presumably because, you know, it's a big network telly show, and therefore <laughs> all, all corporations can't be bad. I, I just... 
I just thought it was too broad, um, too on the nose. As charming as she is, she can't carry the entire thing by herself. And there is just so much going on that by the end, I felt a bit tired. Um, and <laughs> it, it just didn't really win me over. I hate to say it. Yeah, it's, it's so... It, it, well, I, it didn't... When I watched it, it's, it absolutely did not surprise me. It was cancelled. You know what? I think they crammed so much into this first episode. You know, sometimes like the American TV system... It leads to this quite a lot where they're so desperate to make the pilot work like the be the best pilot ever so they have to commission the whole series and make 24 episodes especially in network tv as you say so everything is crammed into this first episode they've got this spectacular opening see- scene where she where she crashes into the thing into this big event and i agree she kate sagal is brilliant yeah. i thought she was i think she was exceptional actually i think she kind of totally embodied erin brockovich like because i've seen interviews with the real erin brockovich and i think she she did that almost as well as julia Roberts did in the film if not as well in fact i would say i think she absolutely phenomenal in it and brilliant to see andy garcia in it you know kind of i thought that 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 relationship as her boss was really interesting lots of emotional stuff going on there but there was so much as you say the bloke from sex in the city at the end that at, at the end my my final thought was i know this whole story now yeah i don't need to watch one minute more They've said everything they need to be said about this character. Well done. You've created a really entertaining, a very but cheesy, um, very network TV, very mainstream 43 minutes of television. And there's nothing more to be said. Why would you possibly to watch any more episodes of it? Like, and it's not, and it's not, so it's, it's not kind of funny, weird, different, entertaining enough to warrant it being a weekly show from that point on. So it's almost, it's completely like, they've completely ruined it for themselves by summing up the whole point of it in one 45-minute episode for me. And it's like, fine, yeah, I enjoyed it. But and of course it was cancelled. I mean, there's no way this could possibly sustain weekly viewing in any way. And it's quite, and it's almost because it doesn't fit into any genre particularly. You know, it's quite an original idea. You can see why they thought, oh, we've got this great idea. Let's do this a weekly series about Aaron Brock, the real Aaron Brock. It's just, it's just, in the end, fine, absolutely fine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on all of that. It feels like a little bit like I sometimes struggle now, spoiled as we are, with the more traditional network TV shows in a way that, and I used to love this stuff. I used to watch a lot of network stuff, even the quite traditional network stuff. And now I have so little patience for it. This is far too broad and it couldn't be more on the nose if it tried. And there is one point where someone says, she's not a lawyer. She's just loud. And I thought that, I mean, that kind of sums this show up quite nicely. Like I've got a lot of time for Katie Sagan. I think she's great. She's obviously Gemma Teller in Sons of Anarchy. And she's fantastic in that. But I drifted in and out of this, like it, it, from the writing to the performances, I was, just a bit like what what is happening just and must i watch more of it uh, and the answer obviously was no i have heard that it does improve that the first episode tries to do a lot of heavy lifting as a lot of network pilots do and that uh the second episode gets more into its groove but same with boyd i also feel like i know how this story goes like, i know everything i need to know there's nothing to make me want to continue watching this um and everyone in it is slightly irritating so yeah i'm 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 pretty done but, you know, luckily Star or Disney Plus, I should say, have, have caned this before we got near it. So uh, it's been cancelled anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Rebel is available on Star on Disney Plus uh, from Friday, May the 28th. Can, can I make one final point about it? Of course you can, boy. Yeah, course it's you directed can. by Mark Webb, who directed 500 yeah. Days of Summer, The Amazing Spider-Man. And, yeah. some, and it's the most uncinematic thing it, I've seen yeah, in ages. Uh, that was really so bewildering is. to me. What was the, could it could have been directed by anyone. It's got Mary anyway. McDonnell in it, for fuck's sake. I know, but that particular, I was like, what I mean, what was the point of getting this top named cinema director in to do a, something that looks like your average episode of every other network TV show ever made? Thank you.
Okay. Finally this week, we have Before We Die, an adaptation of the Swedish drama of the same name, which stars Leslie Sharp and the OA's Patrick Gibson as a detective and her estranged son, who turns out to be an undercover informant in a particularly perilous murder investigation. Boyd Minster, should people make time to watch this one before they die? Oh, oh, oh your introductions, I mean. You should do a compilation of all your introductions <laughs> to the reviews. It'll be very funny. Um, but let me say, I, I'm going to come clean, I'm very much predisposed to this show because it brings together two of my favourite actors Leslie Sharp who for me is a goddess of TV particularly Scott and Bailey Bob and Rose other shows that aren't just two names uh, <laughs> together she is a phenomenon and right from the from the moment she arrives on screen in this her face her expressive face um her her mis- her kind of mysterious acting there are shots in this of just where she kind of gives a reaction to something saying you know like what does that mean it could mean about a million different things she is a absolute one woman phenomenon of an actor and i love her so there's her there's then patrick gibson paddy gibson of who plays Steve in the OA. And as every OA fan knows, he was the heart and soul of that show. He was absolutely, his journey in that show was f- incredible and moving and, and profound. And he, in the last shot of the OA, <laughs> tragically cut short, by the way, we may have mentioned it, um, is all about him, really. Mm. Um, and if you haven't seen it yet, watch it. And he, I love him. I've watched, seen him on stage, so I'll watch anything he's in. So, and they are mother and son. And the first um, scene of this series is, is. she's a cop he's he's um he's her son with her divorced husband and he's kind of gone wrong he's in a rave and he's drug dealing and she arranges his arrest so the mother ar- arranges the arrest of her own son for drug dealing or whatever in this rave and she and and, and then it cuts to 2 years later by which time he's been in prison so she kind of arranges this thinking it'll be a short shot shock and she'll teach him a lesson her own son who's been you know he doesn't want him to go down the wrong way he ends up being in prison for it for quite a long time mm. which she wasn't expecting and in prison he meets a croatian lad who's part of a croatian crime family who gives him a job working in their restaurant and that leads to the whole dark complication of this series which also involves leslie shot's cop sleeping with a fellow cop who's married and you see that right at the beginning this is all premise this is not spoiler because it's all established in the first five minutes and he then disappears so she's investigating the disappearance of one of her colleagues with whom she's having an affair who's also connected to her son who's working in the croatian restaurant which is a front for a dodgy croatian crime family and then there's a mysterious um, informant that she's talking to on the phone and she doesn't know who it is and it's all kicking off from there i think it's a really clever interesting premise it is adapted from a swedish original and by the way the script is written by um a guy who used to be the head of um comms at channel four um and he has ended up writing this show and i remember when he was announced that he was leaving and uh people were like oh yeah that'd be good matt baker he's called so i used to talk to him all the time about he was promoting stuff on channel four and i'd see him at the end of tv festival he's like yeah i'm gonna leave and try my hand at writing i was like oh yeah whatever people say that all the time and he's ended <laughs> up adapting this swedish series very well, I think, um, for Channel 4. I really enjoyed the first episode. But the main thing I enjoyed about it is those pe- is Leslie Sharp and Patrick Gibson. And the cast is great. Um, Vincent Regan's in it. He comes in as this kind of specialist cop who um, is kind of agent figure who knows more about the ins and outs of dodgy crime families, etc. Um, so it's kind of about their performances. and But I did really like there's a kind of weird 
off-kilter quality to it where you're not quite sure what is going on, particularly in Leslie Sharp's character's mind. And there's much more to her than I think you know than meets the eye from the first episode. And it's going to go down interesting. And the interrelationships are interesting, like how she'll end up interacting with her son and whether her son will forgive her for basically landing him in prison and all of that is fascinating, as is her relationship to her ex-husband. And all of those interrelationships are unusual and interesting and slightly weird. And I think it's fascinating. And I will carry on watching the whole thing. I love this. <laughs> I love this. Of course I did, because it is Leslie Sharp, who my feelings for really mimic Boyd's. I just think she's an extraordinary, extraordinary <laughs> actor. I mean, just three, if even you just took her on like three girls alone, like she still has such power in her performance and her face. I mean, there's some, there's some shots of her face in the first five minutes that are just incredible. And... This isn't actually what I was expecting it to be. I think I was expecting more of a classic British procedural. And mm. you still feel some of the more noiry aspects in this, I think. That kind of slightly off-kilter thing that Boyd's talking about. There's something about the tone that I think is really, really interesting. And it's not the kind of classic procedural you might expect. Patrick Gibson also, I have to say, is incredible. I just think he... You really root for him. You really kind of, um, he's just a certain, he has a real intensity to him, which I love and is really needed in this. And it is ambitious. Like I was thinking, oh, it'll just be like a standard crime, but you've got crime gangs involved. You've got like a potential ex-spy. It's like, it's it's actually much bigger and much more interesting than um, people may automatically assume. There is, I mean, there's, there's some, Violet, I got a bit squeamish at one point. There is a a bit of a torture, I suppose is the word for it. Um, mm. uh, but it's kind of, I suppose you selectively and sparingly. So I didn't feel like it was completely overwhelmed by it. But there are some scenes that I found quite difficult to watch. It's quite unflinching in its depiction of of violence. Um, I'm definitely going to keep watching this because, of course, I fucking am because is this like <laughs> me to a T. It's grim as fuck. Um, but I think it's amazing. I think you are just, we were talking about Lairs earlier, right? We have seen a very little bit, I think, of what Leslie Sharp's character is going to be and her precision and her skill as an actor in revealing only to you what she wants to at that point, not necessarily in scenes when she's with other people. There are scenes when she's alone, and the the work, the performance work she does in those scenes is yeah. remarkable. Um, yeah, I love this. I'll be watching this. Please also watch this. This is great. Isn't it, James? I mean, is it though? I tried. I couldn't get on with this. I really wanted to as well because I kind of, I quite fancied it. Like I thought, oh yeah, this is going to be, it just felt a bit overwrought to me. Like there are, there are a couple of scenes. There's one in particular where she's interrogating this woman in a dress shop. And I, I, and it was almost cringe. Can't look at the screen bad. Like it was just, it was so, so awful. And I just found a few of these, scenes just and I, and I was trying to put my finger on it, I was like what is it about this that's not and it just some it just felt too staged for me it didn't ring true and perhaps it's just me perhaps it just felt a bit broad to me in places but it didn't feel sophisticated enough I will say it picked up a lot in the second half and I got more into it at that point like, I was I, I enjoyed the prologue and then it lost me for about half an hour and then I was marginally more interested towards the end but not enough probably to watch more of it I do think like Patrick Gibson exactly as you said is really really good I think he puts in a great performance in this uh 
uh, and Leslie Sharp is very, very good in that central character. And yeah, I think there's probably, I would hope there's more to that character. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, no, I just, I couldn't, couldn't access it. Something about it just felt forced, a little bit overdone, and it just didn't, it didn't suck me in. I'm sorry. It's funny you use the word overall because overall is very rarely a criticism for me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah but it's I, for yeah. me. I broadly enjoy but overall. I, I quite like things that are overall in that everyone goes at it at 110 miles now. I think in this sense, when I say overall, I mean to the expense of believability. Like it didn't, mm. like something about it didn't ring true. I would drop the word verisimilitude, but uh, Terry would mock me ruthlessly no. for it. Come on, so let's I won't. I'm just saying. <laughs> It's too late like for that. that. Did you not yeah. listen to the Game of Thrones bit? <laughs> I just, it just, the realism wasn't there. It just felt a little bit staged, a little bit forced, and I couldn't, I couldn't love it. I can't tell you what else I want to say. Leslie Sharp is 61 years old, right? And this role shows her as still, and I was going on about this earlier in a different context. Do you know how radical it is to see a woman of her age still as the protagonist like this, an yeah, active yeah serving yeah. police officer but also one who is still a sexual being so uh, it's actually really massively rare she has as Boyd mentioned earlier she has an affair with a colleague you see her in mm. bed with him like you see her doing things that we're used to actresses probably 20 years her junior doing and there was one point where I was like fucking hell it's I can't remember the last woman of her age who had a role like this and i think it's mm. fucking i mean exactly as it should be and brilliant but i i was like when did you last see a 61 year old woman in bed in a negligee having an affair with a guy clearly just having had sex clearly massively desirable and massively you know there's the sexual chemistry between the two of them is actually off the scale you i really yeah. bought into that and yeah that was just an aside but that kind of really struck me afterwards is i couldn't think of of a similar thing. Well, funnily enough, uh, the other show this week, Rebel, also has a sex scene with Katie Sagal in it, where she's very much a sexual being in it. Do you know how old Katie Sagal is, by the way? Uh, She was born in 1954, so do the maths. She's 67, yeah. I mean, again... 67 years old. And she she has a sex scene in it. Mm. You know, she is in bed with her partner in it. It's a a, a theme this week. When, When is this air, please, Boyd? Wednesday, Channel 4, 9 o'clock, and they're putting the whole thing out as a box set that evening whether you like want to watch it all in one go or not how many episodes uh six i believe six six episodes of before we die now there's other stuff out this week isn't there boyd yes there's breeders and i feel like um (laughs) i've been bullied by you into not reviewing this show because breeders is by any um you know i'm sorry it's martin freeman daisy haggard brilliant together as the main couple it's created by martin freeman and chris addison simon blackwell the writing is phenomenal and and you don't you can't take it because it it makes you uncomfortable because it is about a very brutal look at parents being having trouble bringing up their kids. By the way, this has moved on a few years. So the kids, like the boy in it is 13 now and then the sister's more like 11. And it, it doesn't make, I think it'll make it less excruciating for you perhaps. But you wouldn't let us review it basically because you can't take it. You can't take, you well, know. You know, and, now that we've reevaluated the bells, perhaps I should go back to breathers. Yeah. I'll be like, do you know what? It's brilliant. I think you should because it's <laughs> an excellent, excellent show. It really is. It's really well done. It's brilliantly acted, performed, written. And it's a shame. It's a scandal we didn't review it, as I'd say. But it starts up series two. Um, starts this week uh, Thursday the, the 27th on? there you go Thursday the 27th yeah mm. yeah. Um, so there's that there's also I have to say on the Sunday um, we're coming out on the Monday and the Sunday that will have just started this went totally under the radar with Netflix kind of annoying it's Master of None season 3 and they've completely revamped it for this series 
So, and, and, and um, it completely, they've kind of revamped it so that it doesn't completely focus on, um, on Aziz Ansari's character. In fact, he's in it very briefly, apparently. I haven't been able to watch it yet. I haven't been, we haven't been given screeners. But it's basically Lena Waithe, who was a, a supporting character in the first two seasons. It totally focuses on her and um, her relationship um, with uh, a, another woman who is played by Naomi Aki. Um, so it's a really like it's, it's kind of an exciting reboot of the whole concept of the show, and it's all about their relationship and the problems within it. And um, it's about apparently it's kind of a bit like Scenes of a Marriage, the Emil Bergman film, and I think it's going to be really good. And that will have that sort of will be out on Netflix now, basically. Um, there's also The Beast Must Die, which is a Britbox original series, which has got an incredible cast: Cush Jumbo, uh, Jared Harris. Billy Howe, that's on Britbox on the 27th of May, and it's a hit and run. It's, it sounds a bit like the the one earlier this year, Your Honor, with mm. Brian Cranston, because it's about a yeah, hit and run yeah, accident no. and trying to find out who's responsible, and it's connected to crime as well. It does sell quite a similar concept, I have to say. There's Panic, which is a YA Amazon Prime show that starts on How Friday. How did we not review this? They dropped it. They only they told us about it after I'd gone to press at Heat with our TV coverage. They dropped it really late in the day announcing it was going to start uh, this Friday. So we, we should be able to go back and see it. But yeah, I haven't been screeners yet. But that's from um, Lauren Oliver, adapted for her own books. It's about like a, a, it's like a Hunger Games type of scenario in the future. Oh, you, that's got your yes, name in all over every it. summer, the graduating seniors yeah. of the town of Carp, Texas, risk their lives competing in a series of challenges that force them to confront their deepest fears for the chance to win life-changing money. This sounds amazing. Yeah, this, well, this is my show of the week, instantly, is- and I haven't even seen it. <laughs> it's very you. It's very you, yeah. <laughs> But uh, we didn't get screens for it in time, so sorry. Well, what is our pick of the week? Mine is obviously Panic. What is yours? Oh, before we die. Before we die. 100%. Yeah. Mine is still Panic. Anyway. <laughs> you do. <laughs> anyway, that is it for this week's Violet TV podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then do show your appreciation with a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to tell me vocally and at length why I'm wrong about the Game of Thrones final season, then do form an orderly queue at James C. Dyer. Or feel free to harass Terry or Boyd instead at Terry underscore White and at Boyd Hilton. Feel free to hurl your no, but you must watch Succession comments to Terry there. Um, next week, I suspect we'll be watching Jodie Turner-Smith in Channel 5's Anne Boleyn uh, and quite possibly learning a bit more about Antlers in Netflix's Sweet Tooth. Oh, although I do suspect we will be getting to see season two of Feel Good finally. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I have a sneaking suspicion May Martin and Charlotte Ritchie might be stopping by the show to talk about that one as well. Until then, pilot out. <laughs>